0: Welcome to the 202nd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our recap of the NBA playoffs so far, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball action. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. And we will start in the NBA with that playoff action, where Patrick went 4-0 with his weekend predictions. In Major League Baseball, Patrick went one and three with his weekend series predictions. So Patrick went a combined five and three that brings him to a seven, 10 and 459 overall record, which is a 60.7% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions.
1: Well, I thought I had a good bounce back week in the uh, NBA, obviously with the four, zero record. Um, I was envisioning a better week in MLB So that I could, you know, use some line that maybe a basketball player would use about bouncing back from losses, but um, I'm not going to do that because five and three is like a a pretty normal record for me. So it wasn't as good as I expected. Obviously, with the one and three in MLB, I'll get to those in a second. But all of my predictions were game three predictions. Uh, Some could argue maybe the most pivotal game uh, in any series. If you're down two nothing, you lose this game and the series is over. Um, if it's one to one, I believe the winner of that game three goes on to win the series about 72 ish percent of the time, something like that, 75, something, some big number like that. It's at least 70 or so percent. Um, so pretty important games. Uh, the Warriors, they avoided going down three out of the Kings by winning this game. One fourteen ninety seven. The Suns beat the Clippers one twenty nine to one twenty four to swing the series back in their favor after losing game one. Uh, the Knicks beat the Cavs ninety nine to seventy nine. In their first game in MSG in the series, uh, and then the Lakers beat the Grizzlies 111 to 102 uh, to swing this series back in their favor to make that two to one, just like the Knicks did after trading the two games on the road. In MLB, um, the Blue Jays took two of three from the Yankees. The Yankees just got no offense in the final game of the series. Uh, they lost five to one uh, in the series rubber match. The Astros swept the Braves, which is the only series I got correct. Uh, the Red Sox took two of three from the Brewers. The Brewers uh, were the best record in the NL heading into the weekend, but not anymore Um, as a result of, well, actually, I think the Braves might have been the best record, but they were at least close to each other. Uh, but after losing the series, it is definitely not them anymore. They're actually second in their division more on that later. But their Sunday game, they were up four to three um, in, I think, the seventh or the eighth inning. But the Red Sox had a nine-run inning. Masataka Yoshida hit two home runs in the same inning. Justin Turner had a solo homer and a bases-loaded walk to draw to, to uh, bring in a runner uh, in that inning. So a lot of runs for the Red Sox, and that ended up obviously swinging the series in their favor. As I think they won that game twelve to five, something like that. Uh, the final game of the series, um, and then the Marlins took two of three from the Guardians. They played a doubleheader on Saturday that the Marlins took. Uh, both games in, and then the Guardians responded by taking the final game on Sunday, but not enough to win the series. Overall, close series. Not really going to complain too much about it, but uh, would like to do better next week in MLB, especially because it will be left out on an island as the only predictions I have in a few short months, honestly, at this point, because we're getting to almost the end of the NBA season. I mean, it's 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 halfway through the first round, obviously. Some, some series are already over, uh, as we know. So, Uh, It'll be only MLB predictions in probably a month uh, right near the NBA finals.
0: Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. That's at fourthand24.com. Let's move from Patrick's weekend predictions over to our review of the start of the NBA playoffs. And we will start in the Western Conference where the number one seeded Denver Nuggets lead the number eight seeded Minnesota Timberwolves three games to one.
1: Yeah, the Nuggets looked like they were really easily on their way to a sweep in the series. I'm not going to lie. But Anthony Edwards kind of willed their way, willed the Timberwolves back to at least taking a game. Um, The Nuggets won game two, 122 to 113. They won game three, 120 to 111. And and then they lost game four, 114 to 108. As I said, that game was in overtime. Um, Look. The one thing I will say about this series is that the Nuggets have firm control that I don't really expect the Timberwolves to win a game beyond this. I think going back to Ball Arena in Denver um, gives the Nuggets a pretty big advantage, just having that home field and a chance to clinch the series. Um, I think they're going to do it probably whenever. I don't know when that game is, but I, I do believe that they're going to uh, end that series right there in Denver um, in game five and it'll be a five-game series for the Nuggets, which, honestly, I think that's what we both predicted coming in. Maybe you might have predicted a sweep. Not sure. Uh, But, look, I I think you've got to give credit to Anthony Edwards, though, still. uh, Probably the one guy on this team that deserves credit for that mentality, despite the fact that he's a young player. He really did say he was the one who came out kind of as the leader of the team and said, look, we're going to keep playing hard. We're going to keep trying to win games. Everybody's saying it's over because – and they're up three games to none. We we're just gonna go out, take it game by game, and we're gonna make sure that it's still first to four. It's not first to three. So we're gonna go out and we're gonna win some games. We're gonna compete. Um, and then despite a 12-0 run by Denver to send the game to overtime, because Minnesota was up 96 to 84 uh before the Nuggets came storming back at the end of regulation to send this game to overtime. Um I was surprised, honestly, the Timberwolves stayed in it because at that point, when a team sees the momentum like that, it's pretty rare for them to, it's pretty rare for the team that lost the momentum and gave it up to actually come back and still win that game. Um, so credit to the Nuggets, or sorry, credit to the Timberwolves for doing that, despite the Nuggets run that they got on. Uh, but then Anthony Edwards hit the dagger. It was, I believe, 109 to 108 and he hit a big three um, and then the Nuggets fouled them once. And that's how we ended up at 114, 108. But Anthony Edwards deserves all the credit in the world for these games was playing so well in the games they lost. Anyway, it's glad, I'm glad to see him get a win uh, in this series. Will his team to this win in game four, despite the fact that I still don't think it's going to last very much longer.
0: All right, well, let's move over to the uh, others. Well, one of the other series uh, in the Western conference, but the one featuring the number two seed Uh, the number seven Lakers lead the number two seed Grizzlies three games to one.
1: Well, the West is perhaps the conference where, Everybody had the same picks. Um, and most of the time when people have the same picks, it's pretty chalk because there's some dominant teams. The East is pretty indicative of that. But this this year, um, you have the Lakers and you have the Warriors who are, you have one, who, one team who has LeBron James, um, an inevitable playoff force that pretty much always uh, gets off the mat and plays well against whoever he's playing against. Very hard to knock him out, obviously. Um, and then you have the Warriors who are the defending champs. Lakers playing a young Grizzlies team that's kind of dealt with some roster upheaval multiple times through the middle of the season, a lot of injuries to their front court with Stephen Adams uh, out for the year and Brandon Clark also having his injury pretty early on. So, you know, they did have time to fix those issues but and get guys into the rotation um, and into the starting lineup that weren't perhaps there in the first place like Xavier Tillman. But at the same time, they're just not as strong as they were in terms of the team that well, that secured the two-seed it was mostly the team playing with Steven Adams. Um, Although, you know, they didn't have job for a little bit as well, obviously. Um, So they've dealt with some injuries, some adversity throughout all this stuff. But I I do believe that, um, you know, the Grizzlies are just a little bit too young and they're not really made for this moment against this great of a player. Um, It's the same thing that happened with them when they were playing against Steph Curry, honestly, Uh, but they're just getting dominated by greatness and LeBron, is kind of the driving force for the Lakers. But let, let's go into this a little bit. So game two, the Grizzlies won 103 to 93. Ja Morant did not play in this game. Um, But, you know, by the way, kind of ironic that the Grizzlies win the one game where Jaw doesn't play. And, you know, it's not because of Jaw. We all know this. He's a great player. Um, in game three, let's just move on to that. The Lakers won 111 to 101, despite Jaw dropping 45, 13 and 9. Um, with twenty-four points in the fourth quarter, he just would not stop scoring in the fourth quarter. But the Lakers got off to, I think the I, I believe it was tied for the largest lead at the end of a first quarter in playoff history, in the NBA. So the Grizzlies just dug themselves into a hole that they just couldn't get out of. It was thirty-five to nine at the end of the first quarter. Um, they just had no response for that. I mean, it doesn't really matter what happens from there on out. A twenty-six point deficit is pretty much impossible to overcome, and the Grizzlies figured that out. Uh, on Sunday, or I think, no, on Saturday uh, with that game. Um, And then in game four, the Lakers held the lead for most of it, but the Grizzlies had the lead going into the fourth quarter, led for most of the fourth quarter, continued to hold the lead until the very final seconds of the game, where LeBron hit a layup with 0.8 seconds left. AD blocked a shot that would have been the game winner uh, if it had gone in, but I mean, who knows what it looked like. AD blocked it pretty much out of John Moran's hands, Um, but the Lakers end up sending the game to overtime, and in overtime, uh, LeBron, the rest of the Lakers took over the game. were pretty easily able to come out with the victory, a one seventeen to one eleven finish uh, over the Memphis Grizzlies to take a three one series lead as the series goes back to Memphis for Game Five. I think I think Memphis will probably win Game Five, but then I think it's over. I think the Lakers are going to win Game Six. I think they really had a lack of energy in the game that Jaw didn't play. I feel like they just felt look. Series is over, whatever. Uh, but they got their edge back when Dylan Brooks started talking trash. And, you know, it's the same thing as always with the Grizzlies, that they really only talk when they're winning. Um, and, you know, I don't normally like to comment on things like that, but it's it's a common theme. Uh, I think it was Clay Thompson who said that. He was, he was right. Um, as much as the Warriors may talk themselves, um, you know, with Draymond and everything, Clay Thompson was right about this Grizzlies team. They do really only talk when they're up and it feels like their mojo is only really there when they're winning a series. And once they get down, you just don't see the quite quite as much fight from Memphis as um most teams are able to show and as they have and as they show when they're actually winning a series. So, it's kind of an interesting dynamic there, but Lakers look like they're going to take control. I wouldn't be surprised if they won game 5, but if I'm pred- predicting forward, I'm looking at the Lakers losing game 5 winning game 6 to win the series.
0: All right, let's move on to the uh, number three Sacramento Kings and the number six-seeded Golden State Warriors, which is a series all tied up at two.
1: Well, the Kings won the first two games of the series at home. Then the Warriors won the next two at home. Uh, They won game three, 114-97. No Draymond Green in this game because he was suspended um, after stomping on DeMontis Sabonis' stomach. Then in game four, the Warriors won 126-125. to Um, So look, The Warriors just able to outplay the Kings on their home floor. We know that the issue for the Warriors all year long was not their play at home. It was their play on the road. It'll be interesting to see if the Warriors carry this momentum forward, win game five, because if the Warriors win game five, they're going to win it in six at home, and that'll be the end of the story. Um, But, you know, if the Kings are able to pull out game five, this could be a series where every every home team wins or the home team wins every game until game seven. And then we're just going to have to see what happens. I would love this series to go seven. It deserves to go seven games. Um, it, it has been one of the most entertaining series by far. Um, it's been very fun to watch and I've been excited to tune into it every single time it's come on. Uh, the Kings obviously missing a game winning shot at the end of the game. Harrison Barnes just barely missed a three long, um, with the Warriors up by one after Steph Curry, um, or as Clay is calling him, Steph C web Curry. um, He took a timeout when the Warriors had none left, gave the Kings the ball when they were uh, down five, actually. Kings got a technical free throw, made that, took the ball again, scored and made it, I think, a two-point game at that point, and then it eventually got down to one uh, before the end. But the Kings not able to convert on that. And then, look, the Warriors are the Warriors, right? These are the defending champs for a reason. Andrew Wiggins came back in the series. Um, De'Aaron Fox is now injured for the Kings, so that's going to be interesting to monitor going forward. They said that he's probably going to be listed as doubtful before game five. I don't know what the official listing will be, but that was the word of how he was going to be listed. And the Kings are just going to have to deal with it. I don't think they can beat the defending champs without De'Aaron Fox, the team leader, the NBA clutch player of the year. Uh, But
0: they're just going to have to deal with that moving forward. All right, let's move to the final series in the Western Conference where the number four seeded Phoenix Suns lead the number five seeded and depleted uh, LA Clippers three to one.
1: Well, the Suns won Game 3, 123-109. Game, or sorry, Game 2. They won Game 3, 129-124. They won Game 4, 112-100. I really don't have much to say about the series. I feel like I've tuned in less to it because, first of all, the NBA keeps putting it on at the same time as Kings Warriors for no reason. Um, but second of all, the Clippers don't have Paul George. Kawhi has missed a game in the series. They just don't really have a chance against the Suns if those two are going to be injured. Um, and I think that's pretty obvious. And the Suns still look like a team trying to figure out some chemistry stuff with guys that haven't played together that often. But at the same time, their talent is just way better than the Clippers with without their big, without their big duo, their dynamic duo on the floor. Um, I don't really have much to say. I just think that the Suns are. Dominating the series like people expected them to against an injured Clippers team, as you mentioned.
0: Okay, let's move over to the Eastern Conference. And we'll start with that 1 8 matchup where the number eight seeded Heat lead the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks three games to one.
1: Well, the Bucks won game two, 138 to 122, to bounce back from the first game where Giannis got injured in the middle of the game, although so did Tyler Hero. Um, and he obviously missed most of the game. Um, but They responded, won that game by making 25 threes, which was tied for an NBA record in a playoff game, I believe. Um, But that was all the Bucs were going to get. The Heat won game three, 121.99. And then with Giannis back on the floor, the Heat won game four, 119 to 114. It's not surprising to me that they split the two games without Giannis there. But I really thought that with Giannis returning uh, for game four in a 2 1 series, he was going to lead the Heat, or sorry, lead the Bucs to a victory over the Heat in game four and start to turn the series uh, into an even series, maybe a long seven-game series. But at this point, it looks like the Heat are going to close it out pretty early. Um, I fully expect the Bucs to win game five, and they are the better team in this matchup. Obviously, the Heat are the eight seed, the Bucs are the one seed. But I just don't know how healthy Giannis is, and I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up a level of play that will be, that will be good enough to beat the Heat, who have actually played them a few times in the playoffs now. Pretty familiar with this matchup. Um, so it'll be an interesting discussion we'll just have to see what happens Um, but for now looks like the heat are in control of the series wouldn't be surprised I mean out of all three one comebacks that are possible this would be probably the least surprising if it happened
0: all right let's move over to the number two seeded Boston Celtics facing the number seven seed Atlanta Hawks where the Celts lead that series three games to one
1: the Celtics won game one in dominant fashion in game two Pretty much the same story, although maybe not as dominant as the first game, but they won 119-106, to 106. but the Hawks were able to respond on their home floor, taking game three, 130 to 130-122. Um, this has been a... I'm going to not talk about game four for a second. Up until this point, it has been more of a competitive series than I honestly expected it to be. Um, I still did say before the series that I thought the Hawks were going to take a game, but I think at least I might have even said in six, but... I still feel like the feel of it after the first game has not been this whole blowout feel where the Celtics are just kind of going through the motions after taking a 30-point lead in the first half. The Hawks have really kind of forced them to actually play good basketball, execute, but the Celtics are more than up to that challenge, and they are a better team overall, so it's not really going to be an issue for the Celtics. And then game four, they won 129-121, to Uh, able to steal that win on the road that they needed to go up 3-1 to in the series. And DeJounte Murray got suspended a game at the end of that game for, I guess, shoving, bumping into, I don't know what wording to use, I guess bumping into is probably the most accurate, Uh, bumping into an official at the end of the game. Something that you just can't do um, if you're DeJounte Murray, if you're any player in any series. But, you know, not really a smart play, obviously, and then now he'll be out for Game 5. Celtics will probably close it out in Game 5 in Boston. Uh, would be surprised if it went any other way.
0: All right, let's move over to the 76ers against the Nets. Philadelphia, the number three seed, the Nets, the number six seed. Um, that was a sweep. Sixers swept the Nets.
1: Yeah, I don't really have uh, – I have as many words about this as I do about the Suns Clippers. Um, although, perhaps maybe this one's more interesting because the Sixers won game three, 102-97. But then game four, no Joel Embiid. Um offensively challenged, the Sixers were in this game. Didn't didn't even reach 100, but the Sixers won 96 to 88. I mean, it wasn't really that big of a struggle for them. The Nets were pesky. They got better throughout the rest of the series, honestly, um, over the course of the series. But the fact of the matter is, this team is nothing more than a play-in team that'll probably lose in the play-in bracket next year if they don't get somebody who's actually, or if they don't develop somebody from within who is actually going to be the alpha dog on this team i mean Mikael bridges has done it at times i don't know if he's good enough to keep it up in the postseason um we'll see uh i will say that at at the trade deadline i said this was a bunch of role players on one team and i don't even know how they're going to deal with like a college type system where they're all scoring 15 a game i will say that bridges did step up and really up his scoring i think he was averaging 25 ish 26 in his last few games of the year for the nets so I will give him credit for that. He has kind of developed into not necessarily an all-star or a superstar, but at least a a, a a developing star, an emerging star for this Nets team. He's definitely the leader going forward, but I just don't know if that's enough firepower to be a surefire playoff team uh, in the East, especially with a few teams on the rise next year. Uh, but we'll just have to see what happens with that, with the Nets. But I don't know if I quite believe in them to uh, get back to this point next year without the head start from a KD Kyrie core at the beginning of the season.
0: okay, And then the final season, in, final season, final series in the East, uh, number five seeded New York Knicks lead the number four seeded Cleveland Cavaliers three games to one.
1: Well, as soon as the Knicks stole game one in Cleveland, I didn't necessarily think the series was over, but I thought that from a, it went from a close series that tilted in the Cavs favor to a close series that tilted a little more heavily in the Knicks favor. Um, that was a message that they sent taking game one. And while the Cavs were able to win Game 2, 107-90, when the series shifted back to New York, it really felt like that Game 3 was going to determine a lot. If the Cavs could keep their momentum going and win Game 3, uh, to win two in a row and make it 2-1 to one in the series, then they'd probably have a chance in the series. But now the Knicks were able to hold the Cavs under 80 points, the first time any team in the NBA has scored less than 80 um, in a game this season. And by the way, the Cavs did come close to doing it multiple times, so it's not really surprising. Uh, They are a defensive-focused team against a defensive-focused team in the Knicks. But Knicks win this game by 20, send a big message, come out in Game 4, do it again, win 102-93. to I think, like the Grizzlies-Lakers series, I think the Cavs are going to take Game 5, and then I think the Knicks are going to close it out on their home floor in Game 6, and that will be the end of the series. Um, But it's kind of funny that the Sixers already finished their series before the Lakers even played Game 4. that the NBA scheduling is uh a little bit inconsistent but <laughs> um to say the least but uh I've loved watching the playoffs so far I will continue to love it going forward very interesting to see how these series will turn out especially um knowing that we do have a bunch of 3-1 leads but at least that Kings Warriors series is kind of the crown jewel of the playoffs so far and I think it will continue to be that way
0: yeah uh very exciting action in the NBA and uh that wraps this week's look back at NBA playoff action we will continue that uh, next week, where obviously the series will have been wrapped up and we might even have, due to the scheduling quirks you mentioned, some second round action probably going on at that point in time. So uh, let's move off the NBA and turn our attention to Major League Baseball with our weekly review, which we start, as always, in the American League East. Well, at
1: top of the East, you have the Tampa Bay Rays, who are 20-3 and three on the season, an 870 winning percentage. You keep bugging me about it, so I'm going to say it. Unless you want to throw it in. The Tigers, they want to throw it in. It's okay,
0: fine. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I I keep ha- every year I, I keep harping on the fact when a team has a great start. Oh, there's no way they'll catch those uh 1984 Detroit Tigers who started 35 and 5. Um, which is just when you look back, a miraculous achievement. So um the the Rays are threatening it. Um, they're 20 and 3. Um, best 40 game start in baseball history is 35 and five, despite a 20 and three start though. Uh, the Rays have to go 15-2 and two to tie the Tigers um, for the best start in Major League Baseball over a 40-game uh, stint. So I'll stop with my uh, old man on his porch, hearkening back to his childhood days of a great Detroit Tigers team Want to pay homage to those World Series champions. I'll let you continue. Thank you.
1: Well, I will say that the Rays are, have been dominant to start the year. Um, they lost, I think, three of four at some point. And other than that, they've literally not lost a game. They started the season winning 13 in a row. Uh, they've now won six in a row after that losing three or four stretch. So this team is ridiculous. Um, they are playing the Astros right now, who are on the up and up. Obviously, they're the Astros anyway, so strong roster. But I will say, when you look at the Rays schedule, I would like to mention two things. First of all, the Rays have an 870 winning percentage. 35 and 5 in 40 games is an 87.5% winning percentage. There's a chance that they could do that. They would probably have to take two of three from the Astros here. But they just swept the White Sox, and guess who they play for four games at the end of April? It's the White Sox. So if they're going to end April, um, if they sweep in a hypothetical world where this team sweeps the Astros, they're at 22 and three. They sweep the White Sox, and they're 26 and three. And all of a sudden, 12 game winning streak again. And then when you say they need to go nine and two, it seems a lot more manageable um, to do that. And in their next 11 games after that, they play the Pirates, the Yankees and the Orioles. Um, so that would be that would be the trick. They play, Actually, they play the Pirates, the Yankees, the Orioles, and then the Yankees again. So I really think that the problem that's going to halt them is not um, their actual level of play. It's just that they're playing the defending champs. They're playing the Yankees twice. They're playing the Orioles, who are going to be vying for position in their division, as we'll get to in a second. So I really don't think they can sustain it, but not because of the level that they're playing at. They have a plus 93 run differential, which is insane this early in the year. It's just the fact that um, they are running into a way tougher part of their schedule, although I still will mention that any team that's 20 runs allowed um, ahead or 14 runs allowed ahead of every single other team in MLB, only 25 games in the season for most teams, 22, 23-ish, it's just ridiculous. Their pitching staff is insane um, off the charts. And and to go with that, they have the best OPS in the league, Um, The only team that's really challenging them in a few offensive categories are the Dodgers who are challenging them in slugging and and home runs. But even then, they don't measure up to it. And that's pretty much all the Dodgers have been doing this season um, right on the offensive end, which we'll get to to that later. Uh, But in the rest of this division, the Orioles are 15 and 7, despite having the second best record in baseball. um, They are second best record in the AL, I should say. They are um, in second place, four and a half games back in the division. Then you have the Blue Jays. They're 14 and nine. They've won six, in, or sorry, they've won two in a row, six and four in their last 10. Uh, won that season's the weekend series over the Yankees, um, to get to 14 and nine in the season. Speaking of the Yankees, they are 13 and 10, seven games back, which is crazy that a team could be seven games back, 23 games in the year when they are above 500. Um, and then you have the Red Sox, who are 12 and 12, eight and a half games back. I, I will give credit to the Red Sox. They're they're playing a little bit better than I expected them to. Um, I probably had them as, a borderline bottom 10 team in the league this year. It's looking more like they will only end up that way just because their division has such a tough schedule in it because they have so many quality teams in it. Um but I will go back to the fact that at the top of this division, the Rays and the Orioles have combined to win their last 13 games in a row, the Orioles on a seven game winning streak. And yet still after an eight and seven start, it's just not enough to catch the Rays. It's not enough to even get near them um even with the seven game winning streak. All
0: right, let's move on over to the AL Central.
1: The Twins are leading the Central with a 13 and 10 record this season. Uh, the only positive run differential in this division. The Guardians dropped a weekend series to the Marlins and are now below 500 on the season at 11 and 12. I expect them to pull it together soon. Their pitching staff just has to start pitching better. They got to get Tristan McKenzie back. Uh, but at the same time, the Twins, they have a formidable enough roster. Their pitching has been better than people have expected it to be um, coming into the year. And as a result, I can see them holding on. But I will say that before yesterday, the best record in the last 10 games was the Tigers who were five and five in their last 10. So really this whole division is kind of starting to struggle as we know, it's, it's probably the weakest division in baseball. Um, But eight and 13, the Tigers are still after going six and four in their last 10 just shows you how poorly they started. Do the math. They were two and nine. They won their last game after they were five and five in their last 10 to make it six and four, but they still have a negative 40 run differential. So clearly not going to stick. They're 8-13 anyway. And, I mean, you just look at the bottom of this division. It just gets worse and worse as you move on. Um, the White Sox are 7-16. and 16. Uh, That's horrible. Uh, I really have nothing else to say about that. They've lost five in a row. They're 2-8 in their last 10. They've lost their championship window. They've probably lost their playoff team window. Uh, maybe looking to reset soon. Uh, as a Dodgers fan, please trade Tim Anderson to the Dodgers. Um, but, you know the Dodgers might've been a side tangent. The Dodgers might've been shopping from central teams. And that's what we thought before the season. But had you told me it would be the Chicago White Sox and not the Pittsburgh Pirates, I would have been very confused. But now that we are at this point, it looks like the White Sox are going to be the sellers at the deadline, perhaps the biggest um, of any team, because they're just so far behind at a point where it's not really worth saying, let's hold on to the core. Um, let's try to get back above 500, get some things going our way and let's try to become a better team. They just don't have anything going for them. They got injury issues. Um, they have roster issues overall. They just aren't really that good of a team, and it sucks for Dylan Cease that he has to be stuck with these guys as his teammates. No offense to the White Sox players, but it's just not really a well-constructed roster. Uh, they lost a lot of production in the offseason and kind of failed to really replace it that much. And then you have the Kansas City Royals, who are still stuck in the basement of this division at 5-18. and 18. 1-9 and nine in their last 10. Uh, just a pretty bad team to open the season, only being guarded by a team at the bottom of the AL West for the worst record in the league.
0: All right, well, let's go over to the AL West, uh, and you can start with your analysis there. Well, the Astros are finally pulling it together.
1: Uh, they're only two and a half games back of the Rangers, who are 14-8. and eight. By the way, the Rangers playing very, very well. Um, you want to talk about getting good offense, The only team the Rangers trail in runs scored this year uh, is the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, Besides them and the Rays, the Red Sox have scored 136 this year. And beyond those three teams, no one has above 121 121 runs scored on the season. So you look at that metric and you got to say that this team offensively is just on fire. Um, Their pitching staff has been great as well. And as a result, I really do think that the Rangers can sustain the start. I don't know if Adelise Garcia is going to continue to be an MVP-level player throughout the rest of the season, um, but I do believe that the Rangers are pretty a pretty good team, and I think they're probably going to be a playoff team when it's all said and done. Um, but then in the rest of that division, you have the Astros who are 12-11, and 11, as I mentioned, two and a half games back. They're playing well right now. Um, then you have the Angels who just lost a game to the A's in only the fashion that the angels could uh they are now below 511 and 12 and then you have mariners who have just really kind of struggled to put it together this season but looks like you know their pitching staff their, their players they're, they're going to get it together eventually um but they are 10 and 12 some slow starts from a lot of talented teams in this division um except for the rangers who have come out on fire and then finally you have the slowest starter of them all the oakland a's who won a 10 inning game yesterday to get to 5 and 18 on the season um that's what happens when they win a game they get to a 217 winning percentage as opposed to i don't know a sub 200 winning percentage um just a horrible team they're moving to vegas soon so that's cool for them um oakland fans could potentially set the record for lowest attendance in a year in a year probably since i don't know probably like the 1930s or something like that because this team is horrible and their ownership has sent the message that well we don't really care about our oakland fan base anymore because They haven't been going to games because we've been bad and now we're just going to move anyway. Um, So not really anything Oakland fans are going to like about that. Um, So they're probably going to stop going to games,
0: especially because this team is horrible. Oh, that's how you really feel. Okay, Uh, let's move over to the National League uh, and start in the East. The Atlanta Braves are at
1: the top of the East. They are 15 and eight uh, plus 35 run differential on the season. They are only one game ahead of the New York Mets, who lost two in a row uh, at the end of the weekend and yesterday, but they're still 7-3 and three in their last 10 after a big winning streak, um, and they're 14-9 overall, only one game back of the Braves, as I mentioned. Um, funny enough that the Braves are 5-6 and six at home, but 10-2 and two on the road. They just got hot at the right time, I guess. Uh, but then you have the Marlins, who are still above five hundred. Good for them. They are playing good baseball to start the season. They've lost two in a row, but they are 6-4 and four in their last 10. Uh, 12 and 11 on the season, only three games back of the Braves, despite a negative 34 run differential, which would indicate that this is not really going to stick very long. Uh, but then you have the Phillies; they are 11 and 12 on the season. They've won three in a row. They're seven and three in their last 10, maybe starting to pull it together. Uh, Brandon Marsh surprisingly is leading the league in OPS this season, so that kind of came out of nowhere. But I guess there's your replacement for the production loss by Bryce Harper. Uh, not being available. And Reese Hoskins, Trey Turner has started to slowly pull it together after I think he had zero home runs in his first 50 at bats, despite that pace that he was on at the WBC and even in spring training. Um, but he's able to pull it together. The, the Phillies are getting better team. That's not getting better. That's the Washington nationals, seven and 14, seven games back. Um, they are three and seven in their last 10, not really a good team offensively. Joey Meneses is a pretty good player, but everybody else is, kind of struggling a little bit on that team, uh, especially on the offensive end. So not really going to see much production out of the Nationals this season. But the NL East, with the Marlins getting better, has just gotten deeper as a division. Uh, I like what the Marlins did with their roster. The Phillies are just going to have to play through their injury, injury issues. But when they get their guys back, this is probably the deepest division in baseball besides the AL East, which doesn't really have a bad team in it because the Red Sox are far better than the Nationals are, um, even though the Red Sox aren't amazing.
0: OK, let's move over to the uh, National League Central with a surprise remaining at the top of the division. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 16-7. They've won
1: seven games in a row uh, to get to this point. They are one game ahead of the Brewers and have the best record in the National League, which is crazy. Never thought I would say that sentence. Uh, but they have a plus 25 run differential, same as the Brewers. It's the second best in the National League. or It's the third best in the National League, I should say. It's tied for the third best. Um, and then you have the Brewers who are 15 and eight, one game behind them. They've lost two in a row. They're six and 10 in their last, or sorry, six and four in their last 10. Um, but at the same time, they are tied with the Braves for the second best record in the NL. So can't really complain if you are a Brewers fan. If you are a Cubs fan, you can complain because they dropped three and four of the, over the weekend to the Los Angeles Dodgers, but they're still 12 and nine on the season. Um, they're in a good division, obviously, as we know, but at the same time, all you need to do is make the playoffs to get the shot. Uh, We've seen that with the Braves. They won a title off of an 88-win season, uh, a team that barely made the wild-card game, um, and then have springboarded off of that into a new era of dominance in the NL East. But look, the Cubs still got a chance. Obviously, it's way early in the season. Um, They actually have the best run differential in the NL, so theoretically, that should uh, even out over the course of the season. I mean, we obviously uh, were very, very keen on that series, and you even mentioned that the Cubs actually uh tied the dodgers overall and run scored in that series despite losing three of four uh, which is rare so that run differential that's how it grows um speaking of run differential the cardinals their negative six run differential is pretty modest for a team that's nine and 14 but they need to just start winning some games i mean their pitching staff has not held up at all this year um and as a result they are just kind of struggling out of the gates and I don't really think that's a problem they can solve unless they go crazy at the trade deadline um, and finally give up some of their prospects or bring up some of their prospects uh, and hope that they can pitch better than who they have currently in MLB because it's really just not cutting at the pitching staff that they have uh, right now. And then at the bottom of the division, you have the Cincinnati Reds. They are 8-15, and not really expecting them to do anything this season. Uh, 3-7 and in the last 10, and they're in a pretty stacked division. So I don't really see, especially with the Pirates and the Cubs emerging like they have this year, so I don't really see the Reds making too much noise. Uh, but I'm also not going to bash them because they're a decent, they're they're not horrible uh, in a pretty good division. Um, they're not quite Royals or um, A's level this season. So they get to avoid me uh, bashing on them a little bit.
0: All right, let's wrap it up with the National League West.
1: Well, before the Dodgers, or sorry, before Arizona played a game yesterday, the Dodgers had somehow come back and started uh, to, and sorry, tied the Arizona Diamondbacks at the top of this division at 12 and 11. The Dodgers are the only team with a positive run differential uh, in this division. They lead the division in runs scored. They lead the division in least runs allowed, uh, resulting in that plus 19 run differential that I was talking about. But the Arizona Diamondbacks beat the Royals by one run yesterday. So they uh, are now in the lead by a half a game at 13 and 11. Uh, a surprise team to most to start out the year, but not a surprise to me. They have my rookie of the year pick and Corbin Carroll on their team. Uh, they're using their speed to their advantage. They just get on base and start playing aggressive. And that has me- that has merged really well uh, with the rule changes for this year. Um, so the Diamondbacks capitalizing off of that to have a good start to their season. They are five and five in their last 10. So are the Dodgers. So are the Padres. Uh, the Padres took three of four this weekend from the Diamondbacks to get back to 500. They are 12 and twelve. Meanwhile, the Giants, they have won three games in a row, but they're still four and six in their last 10, nine and 13 overall. And then you have at the bottom of the division, the Colorado Rockies, seven and 17, uh, two and eight in their last 10. Overall, everybody in this division has kind of gotten off to a slow start without, except for the Diamondbacks. Uh, but now they seem to start, they, they seemed to start to cool off over the weekend, and we'll see what happens going forward. But uh, the Dodgers' big series against the, the central leading Pirates. Uh, at the beginning of the week so we'll see what happens there Uh, can the old kings continue to stay on top or can the young team kind of emerge and send a message to the rest of the league that this little 16 and 7 stint is not a fluke
0: okay well we'll find out next week uh, when we have another major major league baseball action recap on our next podcast Uh, our next podcast will be on tuesday may 2nd Please be sure to tune into that Uh, on that podcast. We will once again, recap Patrick's weekend predictions, continue our review of NBA playoff action. And as I just mentioned, have another weekly look back at all action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted as always on Thursdays and his major league baseball power rankings that will now be updated every Wednesday. All of that content is on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.